Good afternoon, KZMU listeners here in Moablandia and in the world at large. This is Lisa, your host of Great Wide Open, heard on the second Monday of every month at 4 p.m. And of course, available on the World Wide Web or wherever you get your podcasts. On Great Wide Open, we often talk about the lighter side of outdoor recreation and how much fun it is to get out there. Today, we are going to look at a different side of recreation, and that is when good rec goes bad. Unfortunately, not every outing ends with clinking beers and jovial conversation. We're going to hear today the accounts of two local athletes whose days did not end as they anticipated. The retelling of their accidents is harrowing and maybe somewhat graphic to those who are sensitive listeners. But what I found most compelling was not just how the accident shaped their relationship with their sport, but how it affected their lives in ways they did not anticipate. I can't thank Sam and Haley enough for sharing these stories with us and being very honest and vulnerable about their experiences from physical to mental and to emotional. So without further ado, let's get to their stories. My name is Sam Newman. I live in Moab. Uh, I moved here um, not entirely to rock climb, but climbing was definitely a part of it. I um, had some trouble finding climbing partners during the pandemic and um, additionally, I do construction work, and I started to find that uh, it, my work and my main hobby seemed to be giving me the same wear and tear on my back, especially. And um, I was having a really hard time enjoying climbing between um, navigating social dynamics with partners and feeling like I was hurting myself all the time. And so in the last few years, I uh, kind of unexpectedly got really into mountain biking. Um, I've always ridden bikes. I really like riding bikes. I grew up working on bikes with my dad, road bikes. Um, And I actually, one of the first times I came to Moab was on a bike tour with climbing gear on a bob trailer. I kind of intentionally didn't try mountain biking for a while because I had an impression that it was a really dangerous sport. Um, and I had never really done anything like it, you know, aside from like riding a road bike on dirt roads, which is pretty far away from the sort of biking that's around here. Um, and so I said to myself, I'm just going to try it, you know, and see, you know, maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it'll just be like a kind of a low, lower stakes hobby that I can blow off some steam with. And I, I bought a cheap bike from a friend that was pretty clapped out and found that it was a pretty natural fit for what I like and need out of physical activity. You know, it's a lot easier to go for a bike ride on really short notice than partner climbing. I was pretty stressed out from work and pandemic stuff and all kinds of other things. And so biking felt relaxing. Whereas a lot of times climbing, I found, you know, 
engaging with engaging with fear and risk in a really um, front of mind sort of way while you're climbing upward. I didn't really have a lot of room for that at that time. And so biking just felt much easier. I had a bunch of friends who ride bikes, who have ridden bikes for a long time, who are really skilled bikers, who seem to be having a really fun time, who were really willing to include me in in their rides, you know, even though I kind of viewed myself as a a real beginner. However, I had a lot of comfort and fitness from just being in the desert. And so, you know, riding a bike over rocks didn't really feel that different than hiking or climbing over, you know, I, I the landscape wasn't new to me. So it felt kind of like pretty easy to go from, you know, dipping a toe into bar M trails to trying to go ride Ahab. From where I sit now, uh, it seems like a, a pretty slippery slope that I was on. Um, I guess I haven't talked about what happened to me yet. I had a day off. It was a Monday, April 25th. It was kind of a surprisingly nice day because there was a lot of wind during that time and it wasn't that windy. Um, and I decided to ride up to up Sand Flats Road and go ride Slick Rock um, from my house, which is a something I've done, you know, uh, enough times to feel fairly casual about it. You know, I put on my hip bag and helmet and, uh, I think I, I had even just bought a new pair of shoes to, to ride with. Cause I was destroying the approach shoes that I was riding in and I was feeling like, um, really fit and happy to be able to go, you know, ride on a trail that people come from, you know, the world around to Moab to ride on in, you know, on my day off in half an afternoon. Um, I was by myself because I like riding by myself. It's, you know, I can kind of go at whatever pace I feel like faster or slower and stop and not kind of have to think about what's going on with somebody else. I can just sort of be present and it's a way that my uh, it, I find it really relaxing especially actually when I've been thinking about you know what do I like out of outdoor sports the thing that I that really stimulates me more than anything else is being somewhere that I haven't been before and so even when I'm out on a ride that I've been on before I try and find little pieces of terrain or little spurs you know that have a, some feeling of novelty so kind of a person who's always seeking a little bit of I'm hesitant to call it totally unknown because I I'm definitely more of a backyard explorer than like an expedition totally unknown kind of person uh, I went to ride Slick Rock the last thing I remember clearly that day is being at the far overlook like kind of overlooking the the river Lions Park area or looking where you can like kind of see into the portal. I don't remember the ride back to the road. I don't remember passing the fee booth, but uh, what I do remember is waking up um, under a bush 
I kind of knew where I was. I was at the bottom of the fin that is on the inside of the steep switchback just below the fee booth. I don't know if it has a name. I know people who ride it all the time. Someone has since told me that a motorcyclist died on it in the 80s. I think he was drunk from what I've heard. Um, But I woke up and I was dazed and I figured I had fallen. But I wasn't in an enormous amount of pain, probably because I was in shock. And I looked at my wrist, my left wrist, and it looked pretty bad. I don't have a real specific memory of it, but I remember looking at it and thinking, I probably shouldn't look at that anymore. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm kind of hurt, but I know where I am. I'm pretty close to the road. I should, uh, I should try and, um, like get up and, and hobble over to the road and I can maybe get a ride to the hospital or get a ride home or something. And, and I grabbed the bush that I was laying under. I remember my feet were in the sand and, uh, I tried to pull myself up into a sitting position and I, I couldn't do that. I could, I couldn't even really roll over. And when I tried to move around a little bit, it, it, it hurt a lot more. Um, and before too long, I kind of realized I wasn't going to be able to get to the road or, uh, or really do anything. So I yelled for help a couple times because I figured, you know, I was pretty close to a place where people go and I could even hear cars going by, but no, you know, I was far enough away. I wasn't visible and nobody could really hear me. So, uh, the next thing I thought of is I carry a personal locator beacon when I generally, when I go do stuff by myself or with other people in the backcountry. I guess Slick Rock isn't super backcountry, but it's just a habit to take it with me that I never thought I would use. I pulled it out and activated it. I was like, if I'm ever going to, if I'm ever going to use this thing, now's the time. And I guess I wasn't thinking super clearly because I did have my phone with me, but I did not think of it. So I pushed the button and after about two minutes, I guess I didn't really know what I expected to happen, but after about two minutes, I felt my phone vibrating in my pocket and remembered that I even had a phone and answered it. And it was, uh, an officer from the coast guard. And he said, hello, do you know your beacons going off? And I said, yes, I do. I pushed it. I need help. And he said, well, if you can pick up your phone, then you should call 911 because it's going to be a lot faster than us relaying the signal. So I hung up, I called 911. I told them where I was. I don't remember the conversation. And they said, you know, we'll be there in 10 minutes. We hung up. I called my girlfriend and told her, told her that I would hurt, that I had hurt myself, but I wasn't real specific kind of cause I, I didn't know really what had happened. She said later that she thought I had just like loosened some teeth or something and kind of like cocked myself on the head, but nothing too severe. And I think I asked her how her day was going and just kind of wanted to talk to somebody and be distracted from what was happening to me. Uh, and then EMS got there maybe 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, something like that. I heard them, I heard them walking around. I think they said, 
that it was hard to find me. I don't know exactly why, but uh, I remember them putting me on a backboard. And then I don't remember the ambulance ride. I remember being in the ER in Moab um, and being kind of packaged up for a helicopter ride to St. Mary's. And it was kind of around that time that I realized that, you know, there's really nothing, you know, I, I wasn't really an active participant in my care at that point because I was so immobile. Um, and I guess I was probably still in shock then, or I was definitely in shock at that point, although things were getting more painful. I was also on more drugs. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like get through this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to think very much about, you know, how long am I going to be here? Am I going to be messed up later? Am I, you know, am I going to be okay? Am I not going to be not okay? It was just like, I'm, I'm just kind of present in, in the hospital and, um, which kind of like was great because, uh, I was in pretty good spirits most of the time I was in the hospital. It wasn't until later that I, I um, started to have a real hard time with the reality of being injured. But I remember trying to tell jokes to the ER docs, um, mostly to give myself something to do, you know, because laying there, having people move you around when you have a bunch of broken bones uh, is not very pleasant. I remember getting ketamine when they put me on the helicopter, which was really weird. I went to kind of a place like in the movie Tron that's just like an infinite geometric landscape of shapes and colors, and I kind of like lost my selfness for a while. And then I remember waking up in the ICU probably the next day in Grand Junction and Maggie, my, my girlfriend was there. Uh, my brother and my parents showed up a few days after I had a lot of support in the hospital. Uh, Maggie was there the entire time. Shout out to, um, Rose Hill at, at St. Mary's. It's like a charitable, it's kind of like the Ronald McDonald house. It's a place that family members can stay for free if there's space and there's need. And so that allowed me to have somebody with me the entire time, the entire three and change weeks that I was in the hospital. And yeah, I I never really got back a memory of the fall. And I had never successfully ridden I still have never successfully ridden that feature um I never will at this point I have no real need to do that for a while I was kind of fixated on the the reason that I fell I had been thinking about this feature for a while and because I don't remember the actual fall I guess what I what I would have said in the hospital is it's not really like me to just go for stuff that I'm not sure I can do. So I think there's a pretty good likelihood that I was walking my bike and I slipped as much as, you know, I rode and biffed it. Which from where I'm at now, 
it kind of doesn't matter because I think kind of what happened to me is I was pretty focused on being kind of internally competitive with, you know, the other people who I, in my, in my sphere, you know, who are all like much more experienced riders than me. And I got to a place where it was really probable that I was going to make some kind of bad mistake. And, you know, I mean, I think everyone who rides mountain bikes has close calls all the time and it's kind of just a matter of time. And then like a matter of chance, whether your accident is like consequential or not. So I guess I think I was doing some mental gymnastics in order to keep from, to keep from thinking that I had made a mistake, you know, by saying like, well, it's equally probable that I, that I didn't make a mistake at all, that I just slipped and anybody could slip because we all like walk around edges and cliffs all the time. And it's like, you know, then I don't have to change my behavior at all. Uh, and the, you know, the reason that I got hurt is less because I made that specific decision that specific day. Like some of that was chance related and more just because I think I was in an extremely vulnerable segment of, of the sport that I was doing, you know, I knew enough to be like pretty dangerous to myself and I did not have the, I didn't have an internal system of like risk management really at all. I was just kind of like kind of just pushing it because it was really fun. Uh, and you know, you never, you never think that it's going to be you that has the accident. I'm four, maybe four and a half months out and I'm working again. I don't have, uh, a lot of pain. I guess I never said what my injuries actually were. Um, I broke my pelvis mostly on the left side in multiple places and I got uh, a bunch of hardware to pin it back together. I broke my sacrum in half. I got that screwed back together. I have a burst fracture in my L1, which is like a compression fracture, but where the vertebrae explodes in all directions, apparently, uh, which sounds pretty gnarly. And I've had um, back pain issues from work and other dumb things I've done in my life. And so that one was probably the most concerning to me. Um, I didn't have back surgery. They opted to go for a non-surgical treatment. I was in a brace. Um, for until three months from the three and a half months from the accident. Um, and I have a, now I, I have a permanent misalignment. I think it's called a list thesis. Um, and so the doctor said, well, when you take your brace off, if you lose control of your bowels or your legs go numb, then you probably need a fusion. But if you don't, then you're good to go. <laughs> so, um, sort of a little bit nerve wracking, weaning myself out of the brace, but I'm happy to report. I haven't had issues from that, uh, which I, which is the most surprising thing. Um, but probably the worst injury was my wrist, my left wrist. I shattered my ulnar and radial heads 
and I had a bunch of metal and a bunch of screws pinning the ends of those bones back together. And then I had an immobilization bar installed to keep, you know, like an internal splint. And they told me at first that I was going to have metal in my wrist for a long time. And then I guess I have excellent bone density. Uh, so they thought I was a good candidate to have the, the metal removed. And so now I have, I have a pretty good amount of hand function. I can give a thumbs up now though, which is cool. I had a concussion. I cracked my helmet, um, in a few places. Uh, it probably saved my life. Um, and I had cognitive effects in the hospital, but they went away in three or four weeks. I had a shorter attention span. I had, um, uh, I had trouble reading and I had trouble having a conversation longer than maybe 10 minutes for a while. I am really happy to report that brain injury was not, not a big issue for me. Uh, so if you're wondering if you should get the MIPS helmet, get the MIPS helmet. Just, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. The hospital is a weird place to be. This is the most I've ever interacted with hospitals, nurses, doctors in my life. And so it was a new experience, largely. Parts of it were kind of fun in a way because it's absurd. It's an absurd experience to be in a hospital. You have no privacy and people just come in and do stuff to you whenever they want to. And it's goofy. And some of the nurses are goofy. And so I tried, I had some fun times trying to get to know the nurses or tell them jokes or be silly. Um, but you know, your scope is really limited when you're in a hospital. Uh, but when I got home, it was a lot harder. There was also, you know, a lot of uncertainty about what was my, you know, how much was I going to recover? And I've been, I've been really surprised that my physical recovery has gone as well as it has. Um, I feel very normal aside from my wrist. And if I, you know, if I don't, if I'm sitting in a chair and I'm not moving at all, I feel almost no effects of it physically. And I sort of thought that I would be um, a lot more messed up. Uh, and I feel very, I feel super grateful for that. Um, and I've also been surprised with kind of where this has taken me emotionally and psychologically kind of into myself and into what my, what my motivations are because I was so, you know, I was, I guess I feel like this is an appropriate word in the hospital. I was totally stoked to immediately return to biking and, um, and I, I guess I kind of felt like, uh, I was going to be, you know, triumphantly returning to it. And, you know, and from where I'm at now, I think that I, I have some, I have some more, I think it would not be a bad thing for me to take it really slow 
to get back into whatever I end up getting back into. Um, life is long, hopefully. And uh, I got to do some cool things at home that I wouldn't have done otherwise if I wasn't, you know, laid up. Made some made some weird little art things and uh, thought about thought about stuff I wouldn't have thought about and uh, I was pretty focused on I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get right back out there I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go walk up Dave's trail as soon as I can uh, which I have done since then but I wasn't giving myself a whole lot of space to to just like be hurt thinking about returning to activity is is a lot about thinking about like how do your decisions affect other people and you know are you a solo cool person who's out you know like uh you know like who am i proving stuff to because you know, the people in my life who I really care about don't care if I rock climb or mountain bike, you know, at the end of the day, like I could be, um, I could be an accordion player or I could be, uh, a traffic, uh, cop, or I could be, um, you know, a sanitation, uh, administrator or whatever. Um, and I would still be me. And, you know, it's, I guess it's less of, and I think living in, in, in Moab or any kind of place where people identify so strongly with recreational activities, um, can kind of cloud the appropriate place for that in your identity or my identity. You know, I can really only speak for myself here. Um, so I guess now, you know, when I moving forward, asking the question, what is worth it? Um, I have a really good example of how, you know, getting into a really risky place affected people who I really care about and don't want to you know, I don't want them to be freaked out about me all the time. I don't want them to be scared that I'm, you know, laying at the bottom of a cliff somewhere. Um, and, you know, before, I think the way that I thought about this before was, was, was almost not at all really, you know, I mean, and I don't know how much I'm not sure how much you really can think about risk in a concrete way if nothing bad has ever happened to you in those situations because it's all it's all hypothetical and you feel like you're so in control all the time. It's really easy to just see the narrow um the narrow outcomes or the narrow situation when you're, you know, uh staring down a rock drop or, you know, about to go 
run it out 20 feet to a ledge or something or you know and and not to think of the wider um scope of like you know is this am i going to be am i going to be sad i didn't do this or am i going to be like happy that i didn't have a day where i was scared for my life you know and i guess having some concrete examples of that now uh it feels really different than it did before and um i don't know yeah risk assessment is a is a slippery game so yeah so i guess you know coming up with coming up with rules and and like having making space in your life for for other things so it's you know easy for you to think about like oh i have a lot of other stuff going on like i'm not i don't need to measure my self-worth with you know this 10 second um increment of sport um i will certainly ride a bicycle again i already have ridden a bicycle just down the street to go to moonflower um and I love, I love bicycles. I love riding them. I love being on them. I think they're fun and weird and cool. Um, I don't know if I will, well, I will probably do something that could be called mountain biking again, but I think I will need to do it from a different place of motivation. Rock climbing, I feel like in a lot of ways is much safer. Um, However, I don't know what my wrist is going to be able to do. Um, So, and at least in this part of my life, I don't, I, f- I feel I feel less motivated to go do a whole bunch of climbing um, but that might be a good thing that might be an easier place to to kind of culture a new relationship with it from And, you know, it can then, you know, maybe you can still do difficult stuff. But I guess for me, I'm realizing that I should be, it would be a good metric for me to keep it on the level of fun rather than on the level of, you know, is this going to work out or not? Because not working out doesn't just mean it doesn't work out for me. It doesn't work out for, you know. A bunch of people so and that's true for everybody all right my name is Haley Tamberry. I am currently a regenerative health specialist um, and in a way climbing I guess brought me there I before that I was a climbing dirt bag for lack of better words but also it's a pretty common thing so 
I got obsessed with climbing and uh, did what everybody else does and moved into my truck, which became a van, which became random squatting at friends' houses. And um, I had a love for climbing. And I think I had a love for the outdoors and a love for adventure. And it was fulfilling this need within myself. Um, and like everything that in life there can be in imbalance. And I could, I was starting to really feel myself be imbalanced and it was the only thing that mattered in my life. Like I would actually say no to going and hanging out with my family to go to weddings to, because it would take me away from climbing. And that was the only thing that mattered in my life. I would say like above my friendships and my relationships and just pretty much everything that I had. Um, and I think that tunnel vision just really took me in a kind of cyclical way. Um, I ended up having a traumatic accident where I got, a. um, we'll go into the details later, but prior to that accident, I, I don't really have recollection of honestly the week before, um, definitely not the day I was knocked completely unconscious, but I had a good friend of mine recall a memory that we had had a couple of weeks prior. And I told her like, gosh, I just need, she said I was going through some sort of a transition or crisis or something. Gosh, I just need it to rain in Moab for like a whole two weeks, just so that I don't have to climb. Um, and I feel like life is trying to tell me something and I just don't know what it is. I, I told her those things. And so me and my partner at the time, um, the day of the accident, we, you know, did what we probably normally do eat a lot of food and then drive up to Castle Valley. And our mission that day was to climb all four features. To me, that would have been a very big day to him, not so much. And I started the day out leading fine Jade, which I remember in my head to this day, I've climbed it so many times. I can tell you probably every nook and cranny of it right now, but I don't remember that day for some reason. Um, it wasn't my style to climb run out but I fell 50 to 60 feet. The people above us, that's what they said. And, um, we had gone through the, I had gone through the crux and I was linking it with that next wandering pitch. So I guess I fell and, uh, now knowing search and rescue and everything like that, that would have been a very hard thing for Adam to have to jug up the rope blindly, assuming that the gear I fell on was good. Um, and then gather me hanging from space since I was out on a traverse. Um, I was not run out. I was actually clipping a piece of gear. That's kind of like what we've come up with, because I think anyone in those moments where you don't remember something, you are searching for answers and you want to paint the picture in your head of what that day looked like since you don't have a recollection of it. You know, long story short, I got down to the bottom, uh, the party above wrapped down and they all tandem helped me get down. I don't remember any of it. And I was knocked out during most of it. Uh, I did wake up at the bottom enough to throw up and go back out. Um, helicopter ride to Moab, a very expensive one. And <laughs> so while I was in the hospital, I mean, I, I don't really remember coming to except for I remember coming to in the hospital like I was in and out. I was in and out. Um, but I, I definitely, so what it was, it was a traumatic brain injury. I fractured three spots on my skull. I broke my elbow and I bruised my spinal cord from the inside and outside. And I, I say that with emphasis because I actually know what it feels like 
um, partially, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but I know what it feels like in a sense of that nerve pain that actually paraplegic paralyzed people feel all the time. And it's your nervous system and learning your body that it's off and it's not communicating it's offline. And that was like contractions <laughs> never had a kid, but I can imagine that actually didn't happen right away. I think I was so drugged up that that did not happen right away. Um, I also bruised my tailbone. So I, I, I mean, I just, any position I was in afterwards was uncomfortable. And I think that's what happens with traumatic brain injuries is nothing is comfortable. I was told that I couldn't look at screens. I couldn't watch movies. I couldn't fly in airplanes. Not that I was going to go anywhere, but I couldn't drive. I, my vision was impaired. I mean, things would float towards me. I got out of the hospital the first time. And then that's when the nerve pain started happening and nobody really, we don't remember, but we don't think the hospital actually told us that that was going to happen. Then it started happening and it would happen like once every three hours, once every couple hours, once every hour. And then it happened once every 30 minutes. And it was into, it was for both sides of the spinal cord. So it was going down into my lower body and up into my chest and my arms. And it would actually stop my breathing because it was that bad. It, I mean, I can't describe it other than it's the most painful thing I'll probably ever feel in my life. More painful than the, even the head injury. Um, not really emotionally, but anyway, we'll get into that. And so I went back to the hospital cause we were worried. And then they were like, oh, this is just what's going to happen. That happened for six months, but it wasn't as frequent. They couldn't give me medication for it because of the head injury. There's just so many different things. And I have a, I actually have a, have a huge it's emotional for me. I feel like this accident, I got out lucky with, I mean, they've told me straight out, like you got out lucky without being paralyzed. Like the way that the accident happened, the injuries you're presenting it, you were literally walking that fine line. I guess I emotionally just feel like, you know, I'm blessed. Yes, I got out lucky. Um, but then everybody else I've, I know since then you have had these accidents and can't walk and can't do that. I'm like, I just can't imagine because I had the ability to walk. I had the ability to talk in a sense, not right away. And yet it still was the most difficult, painful thing in my life and the darkest time of my life. Um, and so I just wanted to put that in there. Much respect to anybody who's going through something more serious. The recovery was painful. It was, like I said, it, I couldn't, I had to sleep upright. Um, I was an emotional wreck. I think before then, like, I don't know that I truly felt myself even before the accident. I think climbing was this, my sense of identity and it became this, it means fun. It's great. You meet awesome people. You're all adventurous. You're going to wild places and you're tapping into that wild part of yourself. But I think there was a part of myself that I didn't even know yet. And I think that even at the cellular level, I was having an identity crisis and people are like, oh no, it's just Saturn re return. And I'm like, I don't care if I was late twenties, I would have had this crisis anytime in my life with the way I was leading it before. I, the first moment I actually remember in the hospital, I woke up and I was fixated on going to massage school. And I remember at the time, um, my, my boyfriend who's in the hospital with me, he was like, hi, hello. We haven't even spoke yet. Uh, what? And I just kept muttering. We're going back to Crested Butte. We're going back to Crested Butte. I'm going to massage school. And he, that was like the least of anybody's worries at that time. Like, how are you getting out of the hospital? How are we, you know, going to start 
keeping food in your body and how are you know, like, I'm not even forming real sentences. And so for me, for a long time, for a while after, like, I just remember my vision was off. I started wearing glasses. I actually still have sort of vision issues, but they are correcting themselves. I would say, because I'm really adamant of focusing on that cellular health right now within my own body, my client's body, but then I'm really targeting my nervous system and my brain health. And my, my vision actually has increased in the last month and I am so grateful for it, but really like, that's when my, my, I started having to wear contacts and glasses and, um, things would start floating towards me. Like Lisa, I remember seeing you and I was so fixated with getting out of the house because I knew that was healthy. I need to get out of the house, but I wish that it wasn't in public that I was took to, but instead we would go in public. And I remember, um, you had come into, I don't even remember a coffee shop we were at now, but you had come in and we were there and you walked up to me and I asked Adam, I said, who is that? She's waving at me. Who is it? And he was like, six foot tall, long blonde hair. <laughs> like, how do you not know? And I remember him being like, that's Lisa. And I was like, Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. And like, we had a whole, we, we went, like we walked home after that. And I had to be walked on this like strapped thing, which we, he would just, it kind of looks like we were just like that couple that would put their hands down their pants while they were like walking in public. <laughs> Cause I was like, don't want anyone to see it, you know? And we had a long conversation after, and then it clicked. And I was like, oh, Lisa. Okay. Like, I mean, like, that's really scary. You're a very recognizable person. And so it was a lot for me. It was emotional. And, um, I mean, I, I think it's one of those injuries that eventually becomes like, I look like I am a walking human being that is normal and functioning. And I did not feel that way. And I think my getting back into climbing, I, I didn't know myself. Like I was saying before on that cellular level at that identity, like my body didn't even know, like the systems of my body weren't communicating with each other. My nervous system for a while didn't come back in. And that, you know, if the nervous system's not engaged with your gut, if it's not engaged, like there's so much biological function that's not happening. And that goes with our serotonin, our dopamine, our acetylcholine, like all of these neurotransmitters that make you be a viable functioning human being. So I was more or less a bitch for years, like seriously, to the people that were closest to me, like I absolutely was, I can say that. And, um, I was my ability to go deep with friends, all of that. And to talk about my accident, it did not happen for a really, really long time. Cause I was embarrassed. You know, like I said, I was mistreating the people, my family, everybody around me for so long. I was emotional wreck, but my death grip on climbing, I still had a death grip on climbing. I couldn't break myself away from it because that was what I remembered my identity before. So I tried my very, very hardest to get back into it, to get back to the mental level that I was before, to get back to the same goals that I had before and all these things, but I never got there. And I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. I, I, I definitely love all my friends who put up with me during those times and continue to climb with me, but I would have breakdowns and I was stressed. I would get scared and then I would not be fun or enjoyable to be around. Um, and then finally, you know, I moved to Durango and let's be honest, the climbing here isn't that awesome. So it was a blessing in disguise for me to let go of climbing and be like, oh my gosh, wait, I can go out in wild places and enjoy them again and enjoy the scenery and not be climbing. Like never, ever, ever before would I ever get into canyoneering or anything that required me wearing a backpack without climbing gear. Like, no, no, hell no. Why would you ever do that? And I started gravitating towards doing these different forms of 
recreation that we're actually like taking you to beautiful places. And like the only enjoyable thing about that was, okay, yeah, you're canyoneering, you might be repelling, you know, you're walking long distance, but really it's like, it's the place. It's the place that brings you back to a connection to yourself. And it's less of the, the, uh, feet or the amount of strength. I mean, that's all amazing and wonderful. And I love, love watching climbing videos, you know, people doing, going in the middle of nowhere and doing these crazy objectives. But for me, like it's, it's, it truly is about me being in nature and me being in that space. And it has, I think that's just where my nervous system was at. It was like, dude, we can't handle you being on top of a mountain, risking your life right now, because when you were risking your, your life right now, walking around your house and working, you know, because that's what happens when you have any sort of nervous system weakness and the whole body goes offline and you can't get to the bottom of it. If you're constantly increasing your adrenaline, if you're constantly putting it into that fight or flight state, because you're already existing in it. And so it took me a lot to really slow down and be like, Whoa, life is so much more enjoyable when you just don't give a, sorry, (laughs) when you just don't care. And when you realize that, I don't know, there's something so much more to life and I'm not poo-pooing on anything and anyone's objectives. I still love like getting sometimes for me now, the amount I'm working and sitting at my desk and on the computer, like I am off the couching it a lot of the times and I get out and I maybe I'm like, okay, I'm, we're going to spend the next 24 hours doing this really big, cool thing. And Um, I, I love, I still love that kind of adventure. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not living with that being my sole purpose and sole goal in life. I don't think everyone should have a climbing accident to come to that realization. I just think for me personally, if I could go back to my younger self, when I was in that place, when I was, um, doing nothing but climbing, I wish I could tell that person, like the people in your life, your family, your friendships are all that matter and your community and your connection. And I, and I felt that, and I had that and I'm grateful, but I think I wasn't reciprocating that relationship a lot of times, truly from the bottom of my heart, like how I feel about my friendships. Now there are more important things in life and your life is more important. So I am climbing. I mean, I'm climbing. Um, you know, I go to the golf wall maybe once a week now, I guess you can call that climbing. I truly don't think that I will get back to the mental capacity that I was before where, you know, my objectives were to go down to Argentina and to like do all these big goals and things. Um, I've climbed in the black again since, but uh, really it was my partners that led most of the the routes. And I, I don't know if I, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I don't know if I can be that climbing partner that can, be like, yeah, I'll go lead us up, you know, Migzaret. No, no problem. I got this, you know, um, or any route in the black. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I'm a strong second. I think I can lead some pitches, but I definitely am not carrying the team anymore. Um, maybe possibly it depends, but I think my life has gone into a different direction. Like I want to have kids and I want to have family and that's going to take away from that as well too. And I think even if I weren't going to have that, I don't, I don't know that I truly could. And also I'm a very independent person. So I, I want to be able to carry a team. I truly have this mindset where, you know, like you're, if you're following somebody else and they're the stronger suit, then you're not capable of doing that yourself, you know, or something. So I I would always try and like be that person that would be like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do this. This route is under my belt or whatever. And I, 
I don't know truly what happened at the time of my fall, but it was in an easier part of the climb. What does that say? You let your guard down. Oh, it's the easier part of a climb. Like I can just be reckless here. I don't know what will happen, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say that I would say, yeah, yeah. To that, because for me, my ultimate success was in my own ability to do things myself and kind of still is. Yeah. There were several times where I, yeah, I needed closure. And that's why I think why I, I had to ask so many people, what did you remember of that time? You know, Adam had gotten all these phone numbers and because people were, they were, they cared. They wanted to know what was going to happen after I flew away. And I was able to talk to some people, you know, six months later, eight months later, and they told me their recollection so I could paint together the story. But there was still a missing piece of like why it happened, how it happened. You know, it, all of that is was just lost into this abyss. And there were times where I was trying, you know, to look for people. The thing is, like going up that route would be emotional regardless. Even even now, since I have like I've had years and years and years since that time, like it would be emotional. So I always was trying to find the right person to go up there with me. You know, it's like, can't be somebody that I'm going to get annoyed with on the wall or, you know, like it has to be somebody that it was one special to me and that it can be this moment. But I almost did a couple times. And then I don't know, I was just almost getting like traumatized. I would start having dreams more or less of me falling, not necessarily in the same place. But then I was like, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Like, why am I doing that? You know, like I, I know what this route looks like. And I have also been to a wedding before where they got proposed. They filmed their whole um, climb up the route and they got proposed at, or he proposed to her at the top. And I was at that wedding and they showed the video and I was the first time since I'd seen it. And I remember all my friends looking at me and I'm like, what? I'm fine. Like, I'm totally, I mean, it was good footage. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. No, I'm good. Don't worry about me. It's about them, you know? Um, and I definitely, um, I definitely actually did feel emotional after it. I felt like I, I could tell I was started to sh like getting kind of shaky and like, that was all of a sudden the things I was thinking about. And so I just like walked out. I'm like, you know, no, it's totally fine. I just stand off to the side here where I know my vision won't be able to see the screen and I'll just get in this conversation with this person right here and it'll be totally fine. Um, and it was fine, but then I kind of knew at that moment, like maybe the going up there actually isn't the best thing for me because there was a lot of parts of myself and how I was treating the people around me that were closest to me that I hadn't yet acknowledged. And I think going up there, I'm like, what am I solving? There's still a huge piece of this that, that needs to, to be reconciled. So how did you find um, closure or resolution with this? Or did you just decide that it's not really necessary? It was just an event and I'm moving on with my life. Interesting. Okay. So that's a, that's really interesting to bring up because for me, I wouldn't have, and I thought I was dealing with it in ways, but honestly, I was just burying myself and climbing again and just like focused on like, get back to where you were before, and then you can fix everything. And that never was happening. It was like, I was just like a hamster on a wheel, like just constantly going, 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 but going nowhere. And, um, it, my relationship with the person who I'm very good friends with still, um, that I was in that relationship had ended. And then I started a new relationship. And actually that was 
the ending of that next relationship was actually my first true heartbreak, which I think everybody, I'm just a side note, everybody needs to get their heart broken at least once and work in a restaurant. That's just my thing. Like you learn so much from both those things. Um, so my heartbreak, it was a big one and it was like a kind of like a public, I would say in a way, or that's how it felt. Like I just felt very vulnerable and exposed. It was through that, that actually through that trauma, through that moment that actually caused me to be like, Whoa, like there's so much, there's so much of me that are, is feeling right now. And I'm not suppressing and there's things happening and moving the person that I was in the relationship with, like who I can say loves me as a person and I love him, but it, it's in a very non-romantic way. We're not super, we don't see each other all the time, but we're definitely in the same friend group. And I would jump in front of a car for his life. I will say that he, you know, we, we he, there was some con- consoling going on there. And then both of us just realized like, like, you know, we, we both were just like in this cycle of, I'm, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. And it was in that moment that I realized like, wow, like this is truly what I need to be doing right now is kind of recognizing that like, that was painful for both of us. That was actually traumatic for both of us. We both experienced that very well. And like, same thing with my family. Um, I definitely pushed them away while I was healing because I was like, I don't want you to see me like this. Like it's my defense mechanism. Like, and I was still friends, you know, I'm still in touch with them and friends, but it, it wasn't as deep and rich of a conversation. So I think it was through that heartbreak that really caused me to start digging deeper and be like, there's something I have to do about this. And I call it my, my, um, Phoenix return or something. Like I just felt like, oh my gosh, like I just felt like a whole new person after that. Like I'm, I'm purging, not just the loss of this person, which sent was so secondary to everything else that was coming up for me. It was like, almost like I'm like, I forgot about that. And like, this is the real deal right here. So, um, yeah, it was, it was that, that really kind of focused me. And then honestly, through deep diving in my own health for other reasons, like my gut issues just got worse once I had a head injury, but that makes sense because the pathways of the body, if your nervous system's not in communication, things will get worse through digging with that. There was definitely more times where I realized like your issues are stored in your tissues. Memories started coming up, not of the accident. Like I wish it would have, but then at the same time, I don't anymore. Like, I I don't really want to know what happened in those dark areas that I can't fill in the blanks. Like I don't really care um, so much anymore. Like I used to, but I definitely know that through detoxification, like I have gotten to the point where I'm like, wow, okay. Like there's so much mental, emotional stuff that my body was just overriding and working on like that spider flight. Like once you release that and you realize like, oh, I've always been there. It wasn't just the head injury. Like, I think that I was there before the accident and just the climbing honestly made me feel better. I'll be honest. (laughs) Like, again, what I would go back and tell a younger me is like, one, the relationships in your life are going to be far more important to go for and to enrich in your life than anything else. And also it doesn't matter at the end of the day, your success, if you're like, we should always be asking ourselves, like, what are you doing this for? You know, what is, what is the goal of this? And is it just to say you did? And I think for a lot of times in my climbing, I honestly think it was. So I think that it's not about the goal chasing. It's not about the grades. It's not about the letters. It's not about the feet. And if that's what you're into too, that's great. But like, always check yourself. What is it truly about at the end of the day? Because I think you can miss out on a lot of life if you're just focused on one or two things.
in so many ways, I think so much about my head injury being just like this. I, again, I don't wish anything like that on anyone, but it has been a very dramatic story for me to get to where I am now. And I see that, but like, also I'm like, I can't help but think about how many brain cells I killed in the process, you know, but whatever I'm regenerating them now, but it's, it's kind of been like this coming home into my own body. And there's been so many times where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I've dealt with that accident. And then things happen. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's still left. (laughs) That's cool. Um, But yeah, no, I'm truly, I just, I think there's so much to say about connecting to nature and to being your true authentic self. And then like having that cellular identity, like it is true. Our cells are just a tiny little version of us, all of them. And they all have to be in communication with one another. And I think a lot of times when we get imbalances in our body, that's when we gravitate towards these high risk things. And it feels good because it does feel good because it is helping, but it becomes risky, I think. You can catch Great Wide Open on the KZMU Airwaves every second Monday of the month at 4 p.m. Archives are at kzmu.org or on your podcast player at KZMU Public Affairs.